Welcome, everybody, to Current Events with Max and Colborn. My name is Max Cohen. I will be one of your hosts today for Current Events, and joining me for this episode, as he does for every episode, is my trusty co-host, the founder of the Museum of Crypto Art, Colborn Bell. Colborn, what's up? How are you doing, Max? It's always a pleasure to talk. Yeah, likewise. I'm doing wonderful. I'm excited to talk today. We are going to jump right into the news that might end up being the biggest news story in crypto at large of 2024, even though it took place within two calendar weeks of New Year's. And that is the SEC finally approving the Bitcoin spot ETF. Woo! I was pausing for dramatic effect. <laughs> But I appreciate you feeling that. I probably should have mentioned that. <laughs> this is a huge, huge deal. But I know that I perhaps don't understand it in the full extent to which I should to know why it's so momentous and why people were so tenacious once the news was announced. Today's episode, I want to talk about all things Bitcoin spot ETF. I want to talk about the why. I want to talk about the how. I want to talk about what it means, what it means for crypto or what it means for crypto at large, if it means anything. I want to talk about all sorts of things. So let's uh, let's start at the beginning of this week, Colborn, and mm. go back to uh, the day before, or maybe two days before the Bitcoin spot ETF was formally approved by the SEC to when the Bitcoin spot ETF was <laughs> approved and then unapproved by the SEC. Iconic crypto moment. Yeah, I mean, this is an iconic governmental moment in general. This is like peak, you know, old governments in a new internet age. At, I would say about 1230. I think this was Wednesday. It was like Wednesday the 8th. Do I have my dates right? Whatever 1230 you're thinking of, it certainly wasn't. Yeah. But yeah. Unless you're in like Hawaii time. Anyways, it was the middle of the day and the middle of the week, and the SEC tweeted out that the Bitcoin ETF was formally approved. This was obviously a moment that many people were waiting for and expected it to come at some random point throughout that week. So there was pretty rampant jubilation. The price of Bitcoin spiked, I think, 3 or 4% in just a couple of minutes, after which Gary Gensler, the chair of the Securities and Exchange Commission, tweeted out the following Quote, the SEC Gov Twitter account was compromised and an unauthorized tweet was posted. The SEC has not approved the listing and trading of spot Bitcoin exchange traded products. So immediately the Bitcoin price goes back down to where it was, tanks three or 4%. We find out in the coming hours that it seems that the SEC Gov Twitter page was the victim of a, I guess, relatively high profile SIM swap. Someone got a hold of the Twitter account and used very nicely sounding, if illegitimate, tweets in order to manipulate the market and uh, make some pretty good money on a Bitcoin long and then a Bitcoin short. So I know we want to go into the Bitcoin spot ETF, but because- That sounds like all conspiracies. Any of that fact? Well, so that's what I believe it was uh, Twitter's own internal investigations mm. concluded, concluded that the fault was not with any of Twitter's infrastructure, but with some, it, I, 
I can find the exact verbiage, but it seems that I'm, I'm fairly confident in that. But the making money? I saw something that somebody took out a bit on Rollbit or a bet on Rollbit to short and long Bitcoin. And that seemed to have something connected to this. I'm no Zach XBT, so I did not uh, delve into the wallets themselves. But you're right. I should be more discerning about things that I see on the internet. Uh, but I the point the, yeah. the point remains that we had market manipulation unintentionally by an enormous government body in the realm of crypto because the SEC's Twitter account was not apparently equipped with two-factor authentication. authentication. And I'm curious, in your opinion... Like, what does this say about the trust we have in the bodies governing crypto that are abstract from us, like the SEC? I mean, like, sim swapping is obviously a problem, but to happen on such a high-profile level seems somewhat remarkable. I'm curious your answer to those questions, and also, like, does the SEC need to investigate itself for market manipulation? So why don't I start with my own sim swap story? And I think this would have been about uh, 2018, November. It was Friday night at 1 a.m. And I noticed that the internet on my phone, the service on my phone, had gone out. For whatever reason, this is, this is you know perhaps good advice. I was paying for a landline and I called AT&T. And, and they're like, yeah, you know, your, your number was just transferred, but I can't tell you any more than that because I can't confirm that you are you. And according to, you know, the notes on your account, uh, I don't think that you are you. And I'm like, well, this is crazy. I'm me. I'm like, what do I have to do? They're like tomorrow. And of course, meanwhile, I see people trying to get into my email. I see people trying to get into my exchanges. Your password's been changed. Like, Shit Whoa. is hitting the fan. But because I was there, I was able to basically get ahead of it. Uh, mind you, it was very intentional that they targeted Friday at, at one in the morning. They're like, they're like, you have to go to the to your local AT&T store uh, with it was like ridiculous. It was like, uh, you know, a, a, your license, a secondary ID. Uh, it might even had to have been birth certificate because long story short, and you know, it, it wasn't too bad what happened to me, but somebody had gone to an AT&T store in Atlanta with my faked death certificate and a copy of, of my ID and transferred my line to uh, somebody else. So you know, I've I've heard all sorts of of crazy stories in my time. So somewhere here. floating out there is a fake death certificate for Colborn Bell. But I mean, it just it just speaks to you know this this like dual paradigm where we are forced to give all of our information electronically, mm. right? To there is all these KYC know your customer things and but then that information is out there and simultaneously all of these centralized servers are getting hacked all of this information is getting spread everywhere you know passwords from ages ago any relevant pertinent personal information it's like all out there so it doesn't really surprise me that the sec was two fa sim swaps it does surprise me that uh, you know these systems that we rely on aren't more secure or fail proof or you know, especially something, 
like the SEC, which could tweet out a million number of things, which is our significant market moving information. So, you know, it also doesn't surprise me that the people that were able to do it are the ones that are trying to manipulate and move the crypto market. So when there are like a million different things you could have tweeted and positions you could have take, taken, but I guess because the markets are 24 seven, it makes it a, a pretty easy target. I think for me, it just, it, it's kind of the gap or bridges the gap between this larger crypto ecosystem, which is so heavy on, you know, rapscallionism and gambling and degeneracy and something that feels very proper and formal living in a mansion, like a Bitcoin ETF, right? We have the like heart of this currency, which is wrapped around by all sorts of individuals from all over the world who are looking for advantages, who are exploitative and I don't know, maybe exploitative is just the best word <laughs> to begin yeah, with. Yeah. And then you have these institutions, which are uh, trying to provide legitimacy to basically everything. And I feel like it's a very interesting moment to see something like this happen. It was almost like the SEC about to dip its toe into shark infested waters got bit by one of the sharks it was trying to, I don't know, mm. tame or kill. But like, that's what this ecosystem is. It's if you're not careful, things like this happen. The market gets manipulated, the wallet gets stolen, um, the assets get drained. Like, this is what this ecosystem is. And it feels, uh, I guess this gets into the larger ETF approval itself, which took place later in the week. You ever see the movie Watchmen? But, or you ever read Watchmen? No. I'll tell you what, you sounded like you had something to say, so I'll save the movie quote for another moment. Uh, what was I going to say? I, I, just before we get to that moment, we should backtrack and talk about why we hadn't gotten to this moment previously. Okay. Right. And that was, and that was because, you know, the government could not wrap its arms around the legitimacy of the Bitcoin order book. Mm. Right. So when they finally came after Binance, when they kicked CZ out, when they find them, whatever it was, $5 billion dollars. You know, Binance is the, the I, I would imagine they're the largest market for crypto, right? So they get the most data flow. They have the most liquidity. Everybody is plugged into their API. They kind of sit at the center of this as the New York Stock Exchange would, as the NASDAQ would of all of this order flow. And, you know, it wasn't until, right, the U.S. government came after Binance, got this deal, and then made some agreement, well, really, it's about the information, right? They want to know who is moving the money through what. And previously, Binance to them was a black box that was jumping all over the world, utilizing various, you know, jurisdictional leverage to kind of keep this black box and grow and grow and grow and grow. And now, you know, we have, you know, we have a battle of two giants where, the U.S. government is always going to win, right? They're going to get what they want. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a piercing the veil moment. I completely I think I think that's a great reading of the situation, and I'm curious in talking about why we ended up at this moment, right, in early 2024 for this approval, right, where the government, you know, with some of its very high profile actors still being very anti cryptocurrency, this moment where there is kind of regulatory legitimization of the entire ecosystem right at least in one really powerful really public spot like does it feel to you like that's an admission that the game has been lost or do you feel like it's it's almost like trying to catch up to the horse that's run away a little bit too late 
So you have this situation with Binance, which I think was really, really wise to invoke, where they are this black box of data, and they are really kind of untrainable and un, well, I guess not anymore, but you have all, I, I think they're a good stand-in for the crypto ecosystem at large, like hard to regulate, hard to understand, like so massive as to be like just completely unwieldy to both litigate and legislate um, and even see under the hood of like, what is the impetus now for the government to the U S government that is to legitimize all of cryptocurrency through the lens of, uh, or through the conduit of Bitcoin. I mean, is it just pressure from these large hedge funds, the black rocks, the grayscales that want to make a buck off of this product? That's what I was going to say is that, you know, now it is to the point where, uh, people like Larry Fink think they can, can make a buck, right? Where fidelity, you know, knows they, they can make a buck. And probably there is some demand from their client base as well to have access and exposure. When you say client base, you don't mean individuals who are investing. You mean like money managers or the clients themselves who are requesting from? Yeah, money managers each handle whatever, 100 different clients. You know, even if two or three or four, I think it's something like 20% of U.S. adults over the age of 18 have cryptocurrency exposure. It's a it's a pretty high self-reported number. So, you know, I and I was getting those messages again. I haven't gotten those messages in a long time, but it's, you know, now the ETF has been approved. My my mother is asking if we should own Bitcoin. Wow. You know, she wants to buy one, two Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you help with that? I hadn't gotten those messages since uh, I think it was like when they started ferociously printing money during COVID. Naturally. Yeah. Depending on where you're getting your news from, there are various estimates as to how much money was immediately going to flow into like the Bitcoin ecosystem and thus down the kind of cryptocurrency food chain. But that number seemed to be somewhere between two and $4 billion of liquidity, at least from just BlackRock side, BlackRock Capital being one of the largest hedge funds in the world that was theoretically going to flow into the ecosystem as soon as that ETF got approved, which I'm not sure if it happened. I haven't checked the books, but we're going to assume that I I believe something like 12,000 Bitcoin um, were bought in the first like couple of days of the spot ETF approval. Um, And that's according to uh, invest answers. 11,500 Bitcoins uh, were taken from the supply in the first two days after the spot ETF approval. Which all things told is, is, is a drop in the bucket. A drop in the bucket, but also like a herald, I would imagine, for what's coming. If that's going to be just like the immediate order book without like a ton of institutional tentacling outward. Regardless, I am curious what you think are the near-term consequences of the SEC approving the Bitcoin ETF. So just an important caveat uh, is that while the ETF has been approved, it's not available to trade on every platform. And I will say, even if you are thinking about going and buying these things, putting them in whatever account you have, like, let it let it settle. Because I think most of these things, you know, are trading for a bit of a premium. Just, just there's no need to, like, be first into these. Well, the reason I wanted to talk about, the like, the consequences, both near term and far term, is because I think that we continue to overestimate and misunderstand how... Uh, euphoria works and also maybe our own internal power to move markets 
because I think the expectation was that the Bitcoin spot ETF would be approved. The next bull run would begin. The Bitcoin price would break through previously unseen levels and we would just be all on the gravy train because of all the institutional money that had been waiting rapidly to get in. And obviously that's not what happened. Bitcoin price went up a little bit. Bitcoin, then all of crypto tanked later in the week. And it's still kind of hovering around, I believe, in like the 40 to 45,000 range. I can check that in a moment. Yeah, 43,000. 43,000, which again, like not a huge bump, not a huge dip, just kind of still mucking around in the same range that it was before. So why not this massive change in everyone's fortunes that was expected? This was totally a buy the rumor, sell the news event. There's a reason we're up, you know, over 100% in the past year. And it's probably this, you know, and now I think things like this get priced in a year in advance. No. Right. So let's just call it 21,000 Bitcoin, you know, January of last year. uh, It didn't, you know, 26,000 in October of last year. And we really put the, the weight of this rally in the last quarter of last year. You know, we went from 26,000 almost up to 50,000. So that's yeah. where you're that's where you're really getting your double. And that's probably when the rumor mill started churning. How do we know? Can we know what is a buy the news event versus what is a you know buy the rumor, sell the news event? Can we know? It just depends kind of where you are in the information chain. Well, like we said with um, shit coins, it's like once it gets down to Twitter, you're yeah, already, you're, 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 way, you're way late. It's over. <laughs> like if it's on Twitter, you're you're way late. I don't think you know this. This wasn't like a retail rally. This is probably institutions behind the scenes, people with billions of dollars in, in assets under management or billions of dollars to themselves taking note and, and buying stock. So let's move. Let's just be present, right? Here we are. The Bitcoin ETF has been approved. I would say this is the most highly anticipated event in crypto and probably in the larger crypto sphere since my entire time doing this, right? This is the largest pivot towards institutionalization that I personally can remember. And uh, I'm sure there are others, but at least in the last couple of years that I've been really into this whole thing, what's going to happen now? Well, this is, you, you know, this, this is your, perhaps your, your chained digital asset revolution. You know, ask yourself why stocks still trade you know, between 9.30 and 4 p.m. Eastern time, Monday to Friday. Mm. There was so much legacy, in, in like incumbent legacy institutionalization in our financial markets. So, you know, is this the, the hallmark moment of that transition in society to a, away from kind of like the rules that are set into, you know, this global, digital, open finance world. It's a stepping stone. I don't, you know, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a breadcrumb. That's what I was going to invoke earlier to an extent with this, asking about Watchmen. There's a, a scene where one of the characters is going to jail and uh, he's this murderous, quote unquote, superhero. Great comic book and also great movie if anybody hasn't seen it. You know, they're telling him how difficult his time's going to be. And he says, I don't think you understand. I'm not stuck in here with all of you. All of you are stuck in here with me. And that's a little bit, there's a couple things here that make me think that perhaps that's the situation that the SEC and the larger 
global markets are moving into by starting to dip their toe into this whole cryptocurrency landscape. I mean, obviously we have this like SIM swapping situation. For that to happen, you need pretty savvy tech operators who have an incentive to do so. And once you start dipping your, you know, entering into these markets, you're going to encounter people who are really tech savvy, people who have an ingrained financial reason to cause trouble um, and to take advantage of all possible exploitations. But it's so strange, right? Because if you have this power, why would you wield it in this way? Would that not be like just the most obvious thing? You see somebody take out a long and and then you see somebody take out a short and you just, can't you just point the finger at who that is? But this I think is, is, is more to my point, which is this whole cryptocurrency world is largely based on like shit coining memes, clout, like irrationality that is proudly displayed. And that kind of thing now has an entrance into the market into a BlackRock, into a Vanguard, or I guess not a Vanguard, which we'll get into later, but into a Fidelity, which are institutions that pride themselves on steadfast legacy safety. Um, at least I would imagine that's much of the pitch they're giving to clients. And now you have this inroad, however narrow it may be, to an absolutely bonkers, oftentimes dark and oftentimes very cruel, an ecosystem. And I wonder how that works in reverse, if it works in reverse, just having exposure to a market that is deeply illogical and deeply like antagonistic at times. Well, think of, think, think of, uh, kind of, I always like extremes to try and find what sits in the middle. Right. So I think Charlie Munger last year, 2023 passed away at age, whatever it was, a hundred, 101, uh, noted, hater of bitcoin i believe warren buffett called it rat what was it rat poison squared you know they built berkshire hathaway on the back of you know like prudent long-term value investing not spending beyond their means i'm I'm sure they hated every single tech company i'm sure they despise silicon valley this is all is this this is all born of the same thing Mm. right so that suddenly you can because of the internet, you can shift hearts and minds and perception away from old trends and into something new. And, you know, this, the idea of reinventing the monetary supply is so profound that if you come from, you know, that legacy, of course you can't, you know, you, you, you have your dollar, which has the full faith and trust of the U.S. government, which is backed by, you know, one of the largest, most powerful militaries, well, by the largest, most powerful military in the world. Sure. Right. That is the, that is like the the foundation of its value. Then you come to Bitcoin and the foundation of Bitcoin's value is that written in the code is the 21 million Bitcoin supply. Right. That no more can be minted. And that is the fundamental rule. Hmm. So, you know, there is a a bit of a a shifting of the guard. You see U.S. $34 trillion in debt and you begin to wonder, you know, what is the what is the foundation for all this? And I think at the same time, you know, the reason there is so much memeing and shitcoining is because in the world today, people are at a loss 
for how to apply their productivity. Interesting. Right? Unless you are, you know, a point a one percent top, maybe like Stanford, MIT, Harvard, whatever engineer. I mean, at the end of the day, most of those people just get vacuumed up into private equity, into hedge funds. Like nobody is, or very few, very few people are very like, I don't, you know, like true societal productivity. But this is where I think the situation gets interesting because I think that it's that class of people on the whole that are probably making up a large portion of the client base that is being courted with a spot Bitcoin ETF. You know, the people that have an account with BlackRock who are using a money manager are in this 1% that you mentioned of people who not only have funds, but have a steady stream of productivity and are looking for a way to invest those funds. I don't think that they're feeding into the same kind of like dark nihilistic urges that the cryptocurrency world is. I think that they are away from that purposefully. And now there is at least a pathway to see that. I mean, think about the scandal so I think those people, for the most part, they just don't. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, just really quick. Think yeah. about just seeing the SIM swapping of the SEC. If you don't know anything about this, if you don't know what's going on, all you know is that the SEC Twitter account got hacked. Let's say it's not the last time something like that happens to these institutions that are now within cryptocurrencies orbit, because one of the worst things and the most dangerous things in crypto is being notable, because once you're notable, you're a target. Now the entire U.S. regulatory system is a target for whatever, you know, fuck about wants with a bit of tech experience, wants to hack into something, wants to, you know, manipulate a market like it's a dangerous game. And I think it appears even more dangerous. It's like um, inviting like a caveman into a uh, like high society party. It's like maybe he won't cause too much of a problem, but maybe (laughs) like he'll bring the place down. We don't know. All we know is that or Maybe a horse is a better example. Like there's a horse at the party. We don't know like what the horse is going to do or necessarily where the horse is, but we know that there's a horse somewhere <laughs> and the potential for that damage at any point, maybe scandalize is too strong a word, but like all of this, this 1% of people who are focused in their productivity and focused in their economizing and are intelligent with their money managing, they are just going to have to now rub up against the looming threat of this horse somewhere. And if, you know, if and when an Ethereum ETF gets approved, that's a completely different conversation, but people are now speaking about that, right? That's the next thing that people want to see the SEC approve. Now we got two horses in a house. And what does that do? I don't know. You know, wake, wake me up when the Dogecoin ETF gets approved. Well, like, where does it stop? And where does that pressure stop, right? You know, and, and if, if the SEC is going to be bendable to the huge, huge um, or hugely motivating interests of these massive capital moving groups like BlackRock and Fidelity. Where did when these where where did these companies stop seeing dollar signs? Right, how far down the crypto landscape is it going to be? Something like a Solana, which is super super centralized and super super kind of like easily controllable in its supply and in its you know foundation. Is that going to be right for a BlackRock ETF because there's a relationship there? I have no idea, but I can't, I don't see this stopping or slowing down, especially if money does start printing for a BlackRock and by an extension, their clients. Yeah. Yeah. Just we, this is going to be something we're going to say a million times, but, but when price drives narrative, you know, everybody lined up for this moment because it's 96 days before the happening, right? Mm. It's going to be choppy for a bit, but you, you know, in by 2025, we are so back. 
right? This thing is going to, I think, rip and melt mine. So everybody that's in it, <laughs> you know, is is gonna be is gonna be talking about it, is gonna, you know, it's gonna be spread. Everybody's gonna make, you know, a bonanza of money in Bitcoin. And you know, the the interesting thing is that these funds you know, they they really just win when people are trading these things and talking about it. Because most of the time, once you're most of the time, once you're in, you're just you're just in, and you're aware. I mean, you're just it's a part of your portfolio. Like Mike, I know people who check their portfolios every day. It's just something they do in the morning. They check yeah. Facebook, they check Twitter, they check their portfolios. And if Bitcoin's going to be in that portfolio, and Bitcoin is going to have days where it's up nine percent, and it's going to have weeks where it's up twenty percent, and that's a part of this. And now you have like just this rapidity, you know, everyone is subject to the same, the same motivations, regardless of where they are, just because you are a, you know, anesthesiologist in Ohio, with a BlackRock account, doesn't mean you don't have the same gambling impulses that the rest of us all have, right? The hold, hold, hold and drop mindset, right? The Oh, I should get more, I should get in more while it's good. Once those first, I mean, I, I like how you said that, you know, that face melting price increase but like once you expose a certain class of people to that they are yeah. not going to want less exposure right. if they're seeing it if fox business is now talking about bitcoin price with more legitimacy more coverage providing narrative to match the price increases and that's where these people are getting their information like that two percent exposure in a blackrock account could become four or five ten percent yeah. you know maybe if, maybe it's worth the risk if it's going to go up this much I, I I think this is where I, I wanted to end up with this conversation, which is these kind of like long-term consequences of getting, it's not necessarily about getting more money in today. It's about getting more money aware of this entire ecosystem and what it means. I have to think that mm -hmm. that is going to, by the time I have to hope and pray that by 2025, it's at least slightly easier to get involved in all of this stuff. And like I said, you know, and maybe that means buying it initially. Maybe it means getting into a self-custodial wallet. Who knows? What I know is that everybody who is has an investment account wants to get rich off that investment account. And if they can get rich today, awesome. If they can mm -hmm. get rich in 10 years, all, still awesome, but less awesome. And once this stuff starts moving, and once people have exposure to this ecosystem when it is at its absolute nuttiest, like that to me is the real coup de gras here mm. it's the money that like blackrock makes it's the money that these clients end up making but it's the amount of money that like ends up flowing into this place because everyone's wildest and most irresponsible impulses even outside of this tiny tiny subset of people that exist in cryptocurrency are going to suddenly be motivated to throw throw themselves deeper and deeper into the ring so i woke up this morning thinking of that there is a <laughs> there's a bit of perversion in society and an inversion of that famous Oscar Wilde quote and at the heart of it now i think that you know when bankers or or when wealthy people get together you know what do they talk about now well, i think they're talking about just money and the only people that are talking about art are the artists if they talk about that and not money so maybe like everybody is talking about money and maybe the artists, you know, in a bit of their time are talking about the art. And, and that feels like a dramatic and marked shift to me because 
we didn't see that happen. We didn't see, you know, the, the, again, the patrons of crypto take any sort of recognition or liking or desire to, there were obviously a handful, right? But you can name the people that came in, purchased, supported, uplifted, did the work on probably, you know, on, on your hands. So, so, you know, I think we're in this moment of crisis where, you know, there was no uptake. I've said it probably a million times, or I've thought it a million times. There's no uptake from the traditional art world, right? They're not interested maybe in 20 years. Right. But then it's just us, right. You know, in, in 20 plus years, I'll be 60 and, you know, maybe I'll still be interested in digital arts. God willing. God willing, you know, maybe we're still doing this podcast in 20 years, talking about digital art, trying to convince the, the you know, somebody out there. The longest running digital art podcast in, uh, in the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, crypto arts. I don't, I don't know. You know, there's so many people trying to draw lines to things. The, the, it, it is a mess. Do you think that this eventually draws itself back to artistry? Just because the art movement is there at the kind of, I don't, I don't, I don't well, you know what bottom. like is artistry to me is the person who 2FA'd the, who 2FA hacked the SEC account. <laughs> yeah. It's very, uh, performance art. Although, I'm not sure it categorizes itself as that. It was performance art with a $3 million payday, if the tweets I saw are to be correct. Yeah, and that is like so, I don't know. If you have that power, it seems, uh, that is wild to me. It's really wild to me. You know, you only get to, you get it once, right? It's like, if you come to the king, you best not miss. Yeah, I guess. But I think just for like the entire ecosystem of artists, right? Uh, so the kind of place I'm at now with looking at crypto art is that, I don't think most artists here are interested in, you know, moving this entire art movement forward, exploring new um, methods of using the blockchain for their artistry. I think most of people are here and I'm, I don't think this is wrong or bad or then this is not a criticism, but most people are just here in the opportunity to make what they've always make, made to make what they like to make and to maybe make a buck off of it. And that's like the larger crypto art that I'm, at least talking about when I asked the question of does the money eventually trickle down there and what does it allow for artists if like all this institutional funding gets funneled into artistry at the you know bottom of this food chain at the like logical conclusion of it because with money comes a desire to flex that money and with the desire to flex that money comes culture etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah there are some positive There's some positive motion around just display technology. You know, we keep seeing more of these transparent LED pixel screens. Those are super cool. You know, I think, what do we have? We have the Vision Pro getting released next next month. month. Apple notably pushing away augmented reality, virtual reality terms and talking about spatial computing. Well, I mean, I've said I've said this before, but it does. I do sometimes, oftentimes, feel like crypto art is just kind of this like lady in waiting, and it's yeah. there. It's it's sitting here. It's an artistic ecosystem that is like in conversation with each other. That like is trying to understand its own nuances, and all of this technology as it gets released, as it comes into the world, is getting played with here first and getting turned into art here first. And it's kind of this like incubator 
for all of these ideas. It's the same reason that like I can talk about AI with people. I have no right to know as much about AI as I do, but simply because of the artistic atmosphere here. And I know what it looks like when it leaks out into a, I don't know, a certain continuum into a certain group of people that have like an occupational and educational interest in the technology. So something like VR, AR, transparent screens, installations, things like that. It's all going to happen here first because we have the framework for it. But this is also getting away of our, our, our topic today. So let's, let's reel it back in. Sure. Um, I have a couple of tweets that I want to go over and just respond to quickly, but do you have any last thoughts, like really important points that we didn't get to about the uh, spot ETF or do you feel like we've covered it? Okay. Uh, I'm just going to say one very broad blanket cultural statement in, in, you know, what does it, I'm, I'm trying to consider what it looks like when the children who were raised on iPhones and iPads today in 20 years, you know, what they will be demanding of their institutions, what they will be demanding of their cultural centers, of what they will expect from life in general. And to me, I, I think that is ultimately, uh, that's pretty scary. You know, when somebody that is, you know, given the thrill of something like Fortnite and, you know, in which you're like running around, shooting, playing, collecting, building, you know, all of this fast pace when it like, tries to run into this happened to me right you know you have these big dreams you have these expectations you have these things and you run into you know the system the institution bureaucracy and you're forced to kind of recognize that the world doesn't just change but it pivots it 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 does slowly so, you know, that's why this is important and exciting and and could be, you know, a crossroads for how we get from A to Z. So we'll see, I guess. I think that was a wise caveat to this whole thing, or maybe an, an addendum is the better word. So last week we piloted our Mokia, Mokna tweet segment. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, I wanted to just bring up some thoughts that people had posted and get your thoughts on them. They're not really like, I think worthy of like, yeah, or uh, just because they're pretty like economic in nature. So unless we want to like, yeah, statistics, which I suppose we can, I thought we would just like bring a couple of thoughts and just kind of like lightning around them. And the first one is going back to something we had mentioned before or something I had just um, invoked before, which was uh, from at invest underscore answers, noting that BlackRock uh, took 11,500 Bitcoin from the supply in two days last week. And as the tweet tells us, okay, so 11,500 Bitcoin were sucked from the system in two days by one player. That alone is approximately 13 days of supply. In addition, iBitSpot ETF, which is the BlackRock ETF, only managed an average of 25% of the volume over two days. So we can assume 46K in two days was sucked out. Net-net, if this pace continues, we're facing a severe supply crunch, assuming that 11,500 times 4 equals 46,000 or 23,000 per day. That's 25 times the daily production of Bitcoin consume, consumed by U.S. ETFs per day alone. Forget about retail investors, other global ETFs, etc. The point I want to just briefly discuss is how this tweet ends. Ignore the price fluctuations. This asset is incredibly hard, and if this continues, we'll face an extreme supply crunch. The Bitcoin ETF was a huge success. Uh, yeah, this this to me is both Mokna and Mokya. This is a short-term Mokna and a long-term Mokya. 
because obviously these inflows are not going to continue every single day. So that can't be the expectation. But long term, yeah, we <laughs> everybody knows this. We are facing a huge, huge Bitcoin supply crunch. You know, especially we got 96 days to the happening. You know, we presume there's probably only 16 million coins still floating around in existence. I think there's about 1 million held by the exchanges. So that is kind of your liquid float unless you're going out and tapping, you know, Bitcoin OGs with giant bags. And mm. if you are a Bitcoin OG still with a giant bag, you're probably not selling right? You are probably so philosophically grounded in this thing that you really don't even give a shit about the price action anymore. Mm. So, you know, I don't think for those people, this is about, you know, like yachts and mansions in Ibiza, private jets around the world. This is something different. And, you know, this is something that struck them very early on in the core of their belief system to kind of stay with the fact that this is something that, you know, they love and need and, and want to hold forever because what it stands for and speaks to about that. And this is, and, and again, it, this is, this is the hardest money in the world, right? And you can keep it and you can move it. And this isn't gold. This is, this isn't diamonds. This is something that cannot be, well, I guess it can theoretically be mined, but we've mined 94% of the, the, the total supply. As a matter of speaking, it could be mined. As a matter of speaking. So the next tweet is from Eleanor Terrett at Eleanor Terrett. And it was uh, at, it was quote, Wowza Vanguard group doubling down on that anti-crypto business strategy. And then using a quote from Vanguard, in addition to spot Bitcoin ETFs not being available for purchase in the Vanguard platform effective immediately, Vanguard would no longer accept the purchase of cryptocurrency products, including Bitcoin futures ETFs. Um, Eleanor Terrett being a uh, Fox business journalist, uh, which is why we got that quote. But this is one of a number our vanguard is one of a number of larger exchanges that are refusing to list the bitcoin spot etf and again now doubling down on this anti-crypto attitude which seems strange considering the kind of uh force with which blackrock and grayscale and these other massive fidelity these other massive hedge funds kind of threw themselves into it i'm just curious your opinion on why this might be the case why there might be all of these platforms that are super anti Bitcoin spot ETF and why you think that there's this contingent of deniers is a governmental pressure. It, you know, it could be, it could be, it could be alignment within it's, it's, I, I don't know if you have the Elizabeth Warren tweet queued up in there as well. Uh, but it's, it's along the same vein of, you know, this is a sad day for the American financial system, whatever it is, it is at the same time, kind of an existential threat to their business. It is highly volatile. It is highly speculative. Uh, Vanguard is known for its low cost index funds, and they just want everybody to pile their money into the stock market uh, writ large via, you know, these, these index funds. An interesting fact I learned about the stock market is that uh, the the top 10 wealthiest percent of Americans own 90% of all stocks, which isn't really a surprise. I think I think it gets more extreme the further you go down. I think it's like the top 5% of Americans own 85% of the stocks or something like that. Yeah. Like it, is, it, is, it is more and more massive the further down that food chain you go. So, you know, again, I, I was a money manager in these index funds for a while. 
you go and you look at these products and you know what do people do people work they make you have a beard when you did that of course not yeah you were clean shaven long hair longer longish hair doesn't it was whatever it was kind of a hippie firm anyways but (laughs) you know the point is is you know again they teach you in school that capital is supposed to be liquid it's supposed to move it's supposed to be innovative and flow to new ideas and new things it's not it's concrete right people work they make their money they give it to a money manager and these money managers just pile it into these index funds and everything stays the same because that's where all the money goes right nobody is actually taking the risk to go and invest and support and and you know that is like analogous to why the problem of kind of like picking and supporting individual artists is so difficult but it's also so rewarding my first thought of course is like you don't have the capital you don't have the free capital to invest it for you know outside of that 1% of people investing you know the requisite amount you would need in some kind of innovative product that has high volatility and you know innovative ideas like nobody can manage that because i mean at least in the us things are things get pretty dicey uh in terms of catastrophic events like you want to invest heavily in something that has like a high risk profile you better not get sick you better not get in an accident you better not have right you know there's just so many things that can go wrong and in the us at least there's very little uh safety net on the regulatory side if something goes wrong so all that means is that you need more money to build that safety net with if you want to have like the top be used for high volatility innovative investing and that's just a very small class of people who are interested in that whereas yeah i think you made the really solid point which is here in this weird crypto bubble with artistry we're able to do that at a much lower level we're able to invest three or four figures into a really innovative idea maker as opposed to i don't know maybe the six to seven that you might need in the broader corporate world and that's a big deal um it's almost like like micro loans uh where people in some countries you know will give loans for like a bicycle and with that bicycle then you can go get a job in a city center that you might not currently be living in the opportunity is open to you and like these micro loans are like hugely important for like some local economies like throughout the world especially in the global south that's almost like a version of what we're doing here um is just like very small scale personal like innovation investing that's a really good way to look at it yeah you know and then on (laughs) every everybody wants to play roulette right but because everybody wants to to win big like that but I don't know. You know, sometimes the 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 losses are are unbearable. I got one more quote, and that's the aforementioned Elizabeth Warren tweet, because I just think it's worth reading. Quote, the at SEC gov is wrong on the law and wrong on the policy with respect to the Bitcoin ETF decision. Mm-hmm. If the SEC is going to let crypto burrow even deeper into our financial system, then it's more urgent than ever that crypto follow basic anti-money laundering rules. So that's obviously a mokna. What I thought might be a mokia is the uh, context readers added on Twitter, which says, and I quote, there are already robust laws to prevent crypto money laundering. U.S. agencies such as FIN, SCEN, SEC, CFTC enforce anti-money laundering, AML compliance, sanctions adherence, and the transaction monitoring. States like New York with bit license also contribute to anti-money laundering efforts. I mean, real quick, is it, is it, are these legitimate gripes or is it just about control? 
This is insane. If uh, if they didn't already know who was laundering money through Bitcoin, then they wouldn't do this, right? That I think that was kind of the whole point of the Binance finds and investigation uh, was to figure out who was holding these accounts, who was moving certain money. Um, I read a tremendous article. I don't remember where it was from this past week on smugglers who transferred over 120 million pounds, British pounds, from London to Dubai uh, in cash, in suitcases. Was it from the Evening Standard? Two London men convicted for part in 100 pound million cash and suitcases conspiracy? Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, amazing article, you know, just just suitcases full of cash flying through the air. Look, you know, if <laughs> people are always going to find ways to move, there's a million different ways to move money. Uh, and Bitcoin is is not a good one. It's not private. Right. So, in fact, it's the opposite. It's fully transparent. So all, all to say that money launderers are going to launder in <laughs> a lot better ways. Yeah, they're going to uh, figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's. Um, I do it, love the idea of using the newly launched BlackRock Bitcoin ETF to launder money. To launder money. It's so ridiculous. Well, you know, Colburn, when we uh, when we started out this episode, I was going to call it the Bitcoin Spot ETF Mini Show, and now I think yeah. we have to call it the Bitcoin Spot ETF Super Show. Um, any last thoughts, Colburn, before we end our Bitcoin Spot ETF Super Show? No, we can get out of here. It's been a cool. long one. This was a long one. This was a fun one. I hope it was an educational one. Please let us know what you thought in the comments, wherever you have them. Please give us a five-star rating if you think we deserve it. Uh, I think we deserve it. But I guess I'm biased on Me Spotify, too. Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please give us a follow on Substack if you have a Substack. Ours is Museum of Crypto at Substack.com. No, it's not. It's Museum of Crypto.substack.com. And we would love to see you there and get your thoughts on all the writing we do. My name is Max Cohen. I've been joined by Colborn Bell. This has been Current Events with Max and Colborn. And we'll be back next week with a hopefully more variety filled episode so you take care and we will see you real soon bye this has been another episode of current events with max and coborn thank you so much for listening thank you to coborn as always for being my co-host our intro music was composed by julian brangold so a big thank you to him and once again thank you to all of you for being with us. We'll be back soon with another episode of Current Events. So long.